0: We'll hear argument first this morning in case 06134, the permanent mission of India to the United Nations at all versus the city of New York. Mr.
1: Howley. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the court. These are tax enforcement lawsuits. If jurisdiction existed, the only issue a court would decide is whether a tax is owed. This type of case did not fall within any real property exception to sovereign immunity before congress passed the foreign sovereign immunities act and section 1605a4 of that act did not create a new exception where none had otherwise existed
2: congress chose which you could say the same thing if the mission here sold its property to someone and someone was claiming the right to possess the property by reason of the sale and you could come up and say this is simply uh, simply a case uh, deciding uh, uh, the the ultimate issue of whether the sale occurred or not. Uh, but it, it would clearly come within the, the property right exception, wouldn't it? You, you you don't go one step back to look at the transaction that created the, the 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 right in real property, assuming the right in real property exists.
1: Actually, Justice Scalia, I believe that if you had a dispute over what happened with the sale of property that it would fall within the Based-Upon Commercial Activities exception in 1605.
2: Let's, let's assume that exception didn't exist, if and that, you had nothing but the real estate exception. You would come in and say this ultimately relates to not, not who owns the real estate, but whether there was a proper contract or not. And, and I, frankly, we wouldn't accept that.
1: No, and I think that's a very different case from what we have here, because in that case, the issue for the Court to decide is which of the parties has the right, has the title, in the real property. That is not an issue here. The City of New York does not seek title in this property. Their action is to declare the validity of a tax lien. And the issue in an action to declare the validity of a tax lien is whether the tax is owed and whether it has been paid. That is the issue that's presented but to
3: But what New York is seeking is an interest in land, and a lien is an interest in the land. It runs with the land, doesn't it?
1: I, I, yes, I acknowledge that there are some similarities between a lien and a right in property, for example, that it runs with the land. But there are dissimilarities that are far more numerous and far more significant, unlike rights in property, A lien does not give the lien holder any right to own, access, possess, cross over, collect rents from, exclude, or any other right in the property.
2: Can't he force a sale of the property to collect the lien? This action does not. I understand that this action does not because of the sovereign immunity, But, but we're talking about what the nature of a lien is. In an ordinary case, cannot a lien holder Force a sale of the property so that he can get out the money represented by his lien.
1: Yes. If the lien holder uh, commences an action to foreclose on the property, then a consequence of that could be the sale of the
2: property. Well, how can he commence an action to foreclose on the property unless he, in, in any ordinary sense of the term, has an interest in the property?
1: I, I do not dispute that. A lien holder has an interest, a security interest, in the property. But Congress did not write in Section 1605A 4 all interests that are an issue in property. Congress, in fact, had the European Convention in front of it, which said rights, interests, and obligations in property. Congress chose language from the European Convention elsewhere, but did not choose that language here. Congress said
2: only rights in property. You're you're distinguishing between rights in property and interests in property? I would think that every right in property is an interest in property, and vice versa. Uh,
1: No, I I do not believe so, Justice Scalia. Uh, there, there, There has to be a reason why Congress chose language verbatim from the European Convention in other sections of the statute, such as the counterclaim exception, but in this exception said we're not taking interests and obligations from the European Convention. We're only saying rights. And this. The counterclaim
3: court, claim sa- sounds to me very much like it comes straight out of the federal rules, not out of any convention. It's the same transaction and occurrence, right? Uh, uh,
1: yes, yes. The, well, that, the counterclaim that's, exception.
3: Exactly what it says in the federal rules.
1: Yes, but Congress said report. in the House report, Congress refers to the European Convention as the source. For the counterclaim exception in the Foreign Sovereign Immunities Act, so Congress said we're taking this from the European Convention. This this
2: language Congress also Congress didn't really say it. I mean, a committee said it to be precise. <laughs> yes, that's but. absolutely correct, Justice.
4: What was your distinction between a mortgage and a tax lien?
1: I don't think there is a distinguished a, a distinction between a mortgage and a
4: tax lien. Well, so you, know, you think that they can't enforce a mortgage under this? That is to say. Uh, the bank can't, uh, it's not an interest in property and mortgage?
1: Uh, no, but Congress, Congress passed another exception here, 1605A2, that said actions based upon commercial activity provide an exception to sovereign immunity. And these exceptions have to be read together. They have to be read together.
4: That's, that, that's where it's hard for me, because uh, a purchase money mortgage, uh, you sell the real estate, uh, ordinary secured interest in mortgage is uh, secured interest uh, by a lender or is normally viewed as a, an interest in property, I'd think. I mean, is there, is there any law anywhere that says that isn't an interest in property?
1: Well, actually, there is. In, in the, um, in, in when the United States waived immunity from suit concerning real property, it limited its waivers to liens and mortgages and not rights in property. And, and so there has been distinctions made between mortgage liens and liens on the one hand, and rights in property.
5: Well, on, on, the other. on, on that point, uh, in some jurisdictions, and perhaps you can tell me about in New York. I had thought, correct me if I'm wrong, that tax liens um, have a superior status to other liens in that they are an, uh, an interest or an estate in the property, as opposed to an attachment. Is it it not true, and and I'm not talking just about order of priority for creditors, but I'm talking about the superiority insofar as uh, being or not being an interest in property?
1: Well, yes, it is superior to other types of liens. Yes. It is an interest, a security interest in the property, but it is not a right in the estate of the property, and it doesn't give any type of the possession and ownership rights that every other right in property gives.
5: Is is there New York law to that effect?
1: Uh, Yes, there is. Um, And and we've cited it in our brief. The the respondent has attempted to distinguish it because a court of claims uh, uh, jurisdictional act was passed that deemed uh, a lien and interest in property for purposes of jurisdiction in the New York Court of Claims, but the essential nature of a lien is not under New York law a right in the estate
5: because I had, I had thought that it, that, that it is an estate in land in at least some jurisdictions, and uh, Justice Breyer was asking about the same thing, in other words, they're liens and they're, they're liens and liens. Uh, kinds of liens. Uh,
1: there, there appears to be in in different jurisdictions different treatments of liens. Well, that they... brings up
0: the uh, ques- basic question I have: Is this a, a question of state law or federal law?
1: This is a question of federal law. This court has held. So,
0: even if you have different rules in different states, there's going to be one rule under federal law under 1605A4.
1: Yes, that that is correct, Mr. Chief Justice. And this court held in Saudi Arabia against Nelson and Argentina against Weltover. That the exception language there dealing with the commercial activities exception must have the meaning that congress understood the restrictive theory of sovereign immunity to require at the time it passed the statute and so when defining what a right in immovable property in issue means we have to give that the meaning that the restrictive theory of sovereign immunity required at the time in 1976 and in 1976, no court here in the United States or anywhere in the world had held that sovereign immunity was abrogated merely by having a statutory lien
6: on the property. Had the State Department taken a position at that point, at the time the uh, the act was passed?
1: There is, uh, not to my knowledge, there, there's vague language in the uh, testimony in the House report, uh, general language about 1605A4 uh, relating to real property disputes, but there's not precise language about whether liens are or liens are not. There
3: was nothing vague about the State Department's brief in the Englewood case.
1: Uh, No, there is not, uh, Justice Ginsburg, uh, but they lost in Englewood. They lost, uh, and and the Englewood Court relied on a D.C. Circuit decision and I believe that the Solicitor General will say that they have reconsidered their position. They have reconsidered uh, Article 29 of the European Convention, which they relied on heavily in the Englewood Brief.
3: But anyway, at a time closer to the passage of the Act, the State Department was taking the position that a lien was an interest in land.
1: Yes, that is correct. But they have since decided that that position was wrong. But they're just
0: maybe more sympathetic to India and Mongolia than they were to Libya.
4: Uh, (laughs) Um, It's not beyond the realm of the conceivable, is it? No. It's not
1: beyond the realm of the conceivable.
4: But I take it there's never been a case in the history of the world, you'll tell me, where uh, a lender, a bank, or anybody who loaned money to build an embassy has ever brought a case against the owner of the embassy, the sovereign, and won under anything like this exception because they can't sue him. Uh, not that we're aware of and not that we've seen There's it. There's no the other way where they said you couldn't sue it. Yes. Okay. Yes. So why do people lend money to build embassies?
1: Well, because to, once you lend money and you engage in commercial activity, if the claim is based upon the commercial activity, Congress has provided a separate section, 1605A2, that protects the American citizen who has lent money to an embassy. And how did
4: it work before? Uh, so, just out, out, uh, before 1605 was passed? Well, how did they used to build in the 19th century embassies, <laughs> if you know? I don't know about 19th
1: century embassies. I do know that since the Tate letter, which predates a, <laughs> the Foreign Sovereign Immunities Act, uh, there has been a commercial activity exception here in the United States.
2: Why, why isn't buying land, which you're not using for your embassy itself or for the residence of the ambassador? But buying and occupying that land, which subjects yourself to real estate taxes on that land, why isn't that a commercial activity?
1: Well, this Court held in Saudi Arabia against Nelson that it's not just engaged in, related to commercial activity,
2: but the cause of action, the claim, has to be based upon commercial activity. So uh, the Indian Embassy could own real estate uh, throughout New York City, which it wouldn't have to pay taxes on? or if it didn't uh, nothing could be done about it? it it depends on the use they put that property to. no you're saying you're saying it's not a commercial activity uh, i, I um, mean it, the, the mere ownership of the if it depends upon the use and the use in this case is not is not the the embassy itself or the residence of the ambassador i mean they they, they could use a, a piece of property for anything as long as
1: it's not commercial activity, it would not be taxed. No, but the buying and, would...
2: and occupying of it
1: is, is commercial activity. Well, the buying of it, if, if the claim is based upon the buying of the property under Saudi Arabia against Nelson, then the commercial activities exception would apply. But the, the mere ownership of the property is not commercial activity.
4: Why
5: isn't it commercial activity uh, for New York to say we provide garbage services, uh, uh, electric services, et cetera?
1: Well, uh, separate and apart from the jurisdictional issue, the Vienna Conventions do say that if there are fees for services provided, uh, such as garbage collection, water, those types of services, then the, there's no immunity from the fees for those services, and those fees should be paid. The separate issue of whether that's commercial activity, it may be. It, it, it doesn't matter whether the city provides a service such as water or a private entity provides a service it's, it's, such as water. That it may makes
5: it commercial it activity between be fees and New York taxes. Suppose New York doesn't have fees. They say we just do this out of our property tax.
1: Well, uh, no, that that does not. On the substantive issue of whether it's immune under the the Vienna Conventions, a a tax is immune. They are immune from a tax, but they're not immune for a fee for service. That is how the Vienna Convention. But
3: on your theory, you'd never get there because the Vienna Convention deals with the substantive liability. You're talking about jurisdiction. On your theory, you, you would never get to the fee for picking up the garbage because you wouldn't have any jurisdiction.
1: No, no, Justice Ginsburg, not at all. That's not my position. Let me make my position clear. If there is a fee-for-service provided, such as garbage collection or provision of water, that would fall under the commercial activities exception. But if there is a tax, unless the, the activity at issue and the cause of action is a, a, at issue is based upon the commercial activity, there's no jurisdiction. This does not the mean.
3: Commercial activities, is, it's applied to that same building that you say can't be. Uh, there can't be any suit for taxes.
1: Yes, there cannot be a suit for taxes. There, there could, could be, be a suit for specific fees for services rendered. But in.
3: Even, even if this were, the building were, were only the mission and the. Uh, representative, the minister to the UN. Even yes. then, the, the the water of the of the municipal service garbage collection could be charged.
1: Yes, Justice Ginsburg. Just as if the Indian mission went out to a private water company and said, "Please supply me with water," the private water company could sue based on commercial activity to collect for the water it had provided. It's, it's it doesn't city, matter a, if it's the city. A private,
3: not a, not a private company, the city itself.
1: The nature of the activity doesn't change just because it is the city providing the water, as opposed to a private entity providing
2: the water. We have to look at the nature of the activity. Of course this isn't a suit for the taxes. I mean we're not talking about a suit for the taxes. We're Here. talking about a declaration as to the the interest in the land. No, no,
1: Justice Scalia, absolutely not. Joint Appendix, page 78, is the City's amended complaint. And even in their foreclosure claim, even in their foreclosure claim, what they ask is for a judgment of foreclosure directing that the defendants pay the amount of taxes, interest, and other charges due. They are not asking for an interest in the property. All this case is about is money. It's not about rights in the property. And there's a very big problem with allowing a claim for money to become a right in property merely by having a local law passed that converts the claim into a lien. The City of New York tomorrow could pass a law that said if you don't pay your parking tickets that is automatically converted into a lien on the property and then, while we can't sue
3: you for the parking tickets, we have created a you right to even your property. You say there has to be a relationship to the property itself. Well, that's not, that's
1: not what the City's position is. The City's position is a lien is an interest in property and falls within the statute. And Congress didn't write in the statute arising out of related to, it said, rights in the property are an issue. So if, under the City's theory, if they passed a lien law tomorrow converting all parking tickets into liens on property, then they, their position is they could sue us for parking tickets. And if there are no further questions, I will reserve the rest of my time. Thank you, Mr.
0: Howley. Mr. Srinivasan.
7: Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. An action to determine whether property taxes erode is not a case in which rights in immovable property are an issue. And it's not transformed into such a case by attaching a lien and recharacterizing the case as one to determine the validity of the lien. And I'd like to begin by picking up Justice Ginsburg on the question you just asked, because I think it's very important to emphasize that under respondents' lien-based theory, That theory has the potential largely to eviscerate the other exceptions in the FSIA in the following sense. Respondents' theory doesn't turn in any way on the nature or source of the debt that's secured by the lien. So under respondents' view, the fact that this case involves a debt that arises out of property taxes is largely beside the point. The load-bearing weight of that theory rests entirely on the supposed effects of the lien on the property. And so, for example, you could have a case in which a commercial activity is brought into play, where the plaintiff sues a foreign sovereign for commercial activity no, that, that, that occurs. That, that's always
2: the, brought up to, to answer the problem. Well, you know, if it's, let me give you a case in which it obviously is not a commercial activity, but it seems to me that the uh, that the lean interest has to be honored. Uh, let's suppose that there is a uh, uh, an American who is very uh, friendly to and and, and sympathetic uh, with the Indian government, and gives them. Real estate, not a commercial activity. He gives them real estate in which to house uh, the the employees in, in, in their mission. However, he retains an interest in that real estate. He retains a lien on the real estate to have money paid to him at some point. He's not willing to give the full amount of the property, but most of it, and he retains a lien. Now, under your theory, that lien would not be enforceable.
7: Well, the the lien wouldn't constitute a right in the property, and that's consistent with the way this Court has always described liens. As we point out at pages 21 to 22 of our brief, the Court — Enforceable or not? the, The lien would not be enforceable against a foreign sovereign. Because it does, at least with respect to the immovable property exception. That seems very strange to me. And let me be clear about that. We're only talking about the immovable property exception. And with respect to that exception, this Court has explained that a lien on land constitutes no property or right in the land itself. And it said that on more than one occasion. And I think the reason. the the
0: Department submitted a a good brief on this issue, but in 1985. What, What do you do with all the arguments you, I'm looking at page 12 of your brief in the Englewood case, which you argued that these liens were interests in property. Are those arguments no longer valid?
7: Well, we've, 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 of course, reviewed our position in that case, and we've come to the conclusion that it was incorrect. And in the Englewood case, that, that argument was the third argument in the brief. The first two arguments in the brief were more along the lines of the Court of, the court of Appeals decision. Well, in, what about in the argument case.
5: that it was an interest in property? The, the brief was very clear that this is an interest in property and that a tax lien is a, Almost sui generis, uh, well, in, in, in that it is an, 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 an estate in the property. It, I don't. It survives bona fide, it, it survives the bona fide purchaser without notice. There, the other reasons you
0: gave, the holder of a lien can bring an action to enjoin waste holders of liens are entitled to compensation if eminent domain is exercised? All of those reasons are still as valid as they were in 1985.
7: Well, let me try to take up some of those in, in order. First, with respect to the question whether holders of lien are entitled to compensation in an eminent domain, we don't take issue with the proposition that a lien is property. A lien is property, but the question under the statute is whether a lien confers a right in the underlying immovable property. And so in an eminent domain proceeding, it may well be that just compensation is owed to a lien holder because... To the extent that the eminent domain proceeding takes that lien there's compensation note for that property what is it looks- a right
2: what property is it a right in if not the immovable property
7: well it's probably- and it
2: follows that immovable property and and when the immovable property disappears the lien disappears if you know, if, if it's blown away or flooded, is now in the Atlantic. The lien is gone.
7: Well, I think But otherwise,
2: wherever the property goes, the lien follows it. How can you say that that's not an interest in the property?
7: Well, I don't think it's a right-in property, Justice Scalia. The, the lien is, is a species of property of intangible personal property in, in the same sense that a cause of action would be, because, after all, what a lien is is essentially, at bottom, a claim.
0: Well, how, and, can, the, how can the lien holder then bring an action to enjoin waste of the immovable property?
7: Well, a lien holder can bring an action to enjoin waste, but it's important to understand what interest the lien holder is protecting in that situation. An action for waste by a lien holder is to protect the security interest. It's different from an action for waste by someone who holds a right in the property. And New York law appears to recognize this because New York, I think, has two species of waste actions. One brought by a security interest holder, and one brought by the holder of property rights. There's a case, Travelers Insurance, in which the Second Circuit reviews New York law on this matter. It's at 14F3rd, 114, and describes how there's two species of waste actions depending on which sort of plaintiff you have an issue. And that recognizes that the interest, if you will, that a lien holder has in the property is different from a right in the property.
4: Well, what Do about we'll paragraph hold- three, that just after paragraph two in the complaint? Paragraph 3 asks the Court to, to bar and forever foreclose the defendants from all right, interest, claim, etc. in the parcel. Well, what about that? The, what they're asking, well, I just heard it. So what's the answer to that? They seem to be saying, say, we have the right to the parcel. You, the defendant, have no right to the parcel." Well,
7: I, I don't. You'd have to ask respondents' counsel exactly what they mean by that. Right, but I did in part for of the e- following e- reason because oh. respondents have repeatedly indicated in this case at the Court of Appeals and in this court that they can't foreclose on the property, and so they've abandoned any claim for foreclosure. And a foreclosure action wouldn't result in the properties being deeded to respondents. It would be put up for sale, and a third party would purchase it. So I'm not. I can't tell you exactly what that paragraph means. In, but in a see. very
3: practical way, I mean, you're stressing uh, that right means. Title means ownership, but the title is certainly impaired by this lien. India could not turn around and sell it to anyone without doing something to discharge the lien right so well th- so th- the title is certainly clouded by this lien.
7: Well, I think liens generally constitute clouds on title, but the fact that something's a cloud on title doesn't make it a right in the property. And I could give you one other example. It
3: doesn't have to be
2: a right in the property. If you look at it from the owner's point of view, it is a cloud on the owner's title in the property. It affects the owner's title. Even if you assert that it doesn't give any title to the lien holder, it impairs the title of the property owner. No, I, and that's all that's required, as I read the title, in which rights in a movable property are an issue. And here the question is whether the, uh, the mission's uh, uh, right to the property is, uh, is impaired by this lien.
7: No, I, I think our arguments apply equally both to the lien holder and to the property owner, Justice Scalia, in the following sense, that with respect to both of them, a lien hold the, — the lien doesn't affect rights of possession. It doesn't affect the right to exclude others, which this Court has characterized as the most fundamental of property rights. It doesn't affect the right to receive income from the property. It
2: affects the it right th- to, com- to convey the property free and clear, which is an enormous right that goes along with the real estate.
7: Well, it has a practical consequence on, on conveyance because it, as Justice Ginsburg said, amounts to a cloud on title. But there are other instruments that — that result in a cloud on title, but that wouldn't be considered rights in property. One example would be a contract, a purchase option contract, to purchase property. The holder of a purchase option um, wouldn't be considered to have a right in the property unless and until the option was exercised. At least that's the general rule. Even though the purchase contract, in a sense, constitutes a, um, a cloud on the title how in the same it, way that a lien might have. How long the title. did the on
3: United the States take the opposite position, and when did it change? I'm sorry? How long did the United States adhere to the position that's reflected in the Englewood brief, and when did it change?
7: Well, I, I'm not aware that we took the position before the Englewood brief, so I think that would be at, at 1985, and I don't think we've had occasion to revisit that position until this case. And let me point out with respect to the Englewood brief, the first two points made in that brief were along the lines of the Court of Appeals reasoning in this case, which was to the effect that a statute that refers to a right in immovable property encompasses obligations arising out of immovable property. And Respondent doesn't attempt to defend that position. But that's the predicate on which our Englewood brief rested. And so we think there's good cause for us to revisit our position from, from, from that case. Now, with respect to the question of whether a lien establishes rights and property, which is now the focus of respondents' argument, I would point out that in other areas of the law, The Court has looked to questions concerning whether there is a right to exclude others, whether there is a right to obtain income from the property, whether there is a right to assert possession of the property. That's, for example, the types of considerations this Court takes into account in the tax area in assessing whether a federal tax lien can attach to property by virtue of the fact that there is a right to property um, at stake. And we think the same sorts of considerations should inform the Court's assessment of the immovable property exception in this case.
2: What about an easement? That doesn't, uh, doesn't in- involve any of those things. You can't exclude people and so forth.
7: Well, an easement, I think, would qualify as a right in property because it pr- at least your standard easement would provide a right of access to the property or a throughfare. And so both sides would be affected in their use of the property in that sense.
0: Thank you, Counsel. Mr. Cardozo?
8: Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. There are three reasons this case puts in issue rights in immovable property. First, plain language of the statute. Second, the statute's purpose and legislative history. And third, international practice as it it existed in 1976. Mr. Cardozo, before you go any further, I I had been under the
2: impression from your brief that you are not trying to uh, uh, enforce anything against uh, against India or against the mission, you just said you wanted a declaratory judgment that the lien is a valid lien, but uh, but here it is in your complaint you're asking for foreclosure. Which 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 is it,
8: Justice Scalia? We we know that Section 1610. Uh, would preclude us from for actually foreclosing. We're not allowed to do that. There's no question about that. You just that. Asked,
2: asked for it to scare
8: them? Was, was that? No. We, <laughs> we do want, as the discussion uh, preceding me highlighted, we do want to get in and take what we think is uh, as a practical matter is our property, but we can't. We understand that. So what we're, what we're saying in our complaint, in paragraph three, as Justice Breyer pointed out, is we would like to bar them from holding title, but, as we quickly conceded, as soon as we filed uh, the action, we can't foreclose because of the provisions of Section 1610. But it doesn't mean that the fact that we can't foreclose doesn't mean that we don't have a right in property. Let me give you a a very good illustration. If there is a possessory dispute, someone, uh, an embassy rented Uh, uh, premises and agreed that if they didn't pay the rent, they would lose their ability to continue to occupy the premises. And they failed to pay rent. That's a title dispute. The person who rented the property would bring a suit saying, I have a right to get back into my property, and there's clearly a right in property in Section 1605. I can't believe that Congress said, Congress intended to say, well, if you can bring an action for nonpayment of rent and seek possession except for 1610, that's okay. There's jurisdiction in an action for rent. But if you want possession of property because you haven't paid your taxes, and of course you still can't foreclose, there's no jurisdiction. That doesn't make any sense. Well, but they'll, they'll, they'll say, as, as this was their
2: response to a lot of hypotheticals, the commercial act exception covers that. Uh,
8: <clears throat> Your Honor, it may or may not cover the Commercial Act exception. And going back to a question that Justice Breyer asked, there are, que- there are cases, not in the United States, but then we're citing some of them in footnote 24 in the Red Brief, that when someone, uh, not the Commercial Property exception, someone lent money to build, to build uh, an embassy. And they defaulted on the mortgage. The German court said, Jurisdiction, not a question of enforcement, but jurisdiction. The reason for this is if you first look at the language of the statute, the language of the statute doesn't say only certain kinds of rights, it says all rights in property, if they're an issue. We believe that we have a right in the Indian and Mongolia premises. We the problem that
4: actually is bothering me with your side of the case, which is finding difficult, is suppose I accept this principle that you have. All right, it seems to me anything at all can be reduced to a lien, any judgment, at least certainly slip and fall cases. And uh, you didn't keep the ice up in front. And uh, I want $4 million uh, in damages plus $300 million in punitives. And uh, where it is, uh, I have the uh, lien against the uh, uh, embassy here. And I can't think of a distinction once I go down your road. I mean, he at least has an absolute distinction which I can see. Once I go down your road, where is the stopping place? What's the principle?
8: Uh, let, let me try, Justice Breyer. First of all, if there was a judgment on that hypothetical tort action that you just mentioned, if, there's a, if there were a judgment, you wouldn't have gotten the judgment in the first place unless you had originally come within
4: I'm imagining a city or Belarus or someplace, <laughs> you know, they, what they do is they say slip and fall ice, you know, you get a lien against the property prior to, okay? I mean, it's easy to imagine yes. that kind of thing. Yes, And And uh, 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 in a range of subject matters. So I'm looking to what the stopping place is once I start the and, and, road.
8: And the stopping place, I think, is a Federalism concept and a due process concept. Because as this Court has held in a number of cases, there is a real due process question if liens are created with no uh, concern about the effect on the defendant. You have to take a look at the interest of the uh, so-called plaintiff. And you have to find whether there is a relationship between the lien and the underlying claim. No, I'm, well, I'm not just say, that.
2: you know, if if you're worried about the malevolence of uh, of countries uh, to make all sorts of stuff liens, I guess if they're malevolent enough, they can make all sorts of stuff uh, easements, which uh, which the other side says is undoubtedly a, a property interest. So uh, they, they could say, you know, that uh, if you're held liable, the uh, the court can uh, give you an easement over the property of uh, uh, of, of the defendant worth so much money. And, and, and that, that would, would undoubtedly be enforceable.
8: Uh, yes, Justice Scalia, the, they, they did say that. And, and certainly if an easement is a right in property, either because of the hypothetical you just gave or a traditional easement, there is nothing different with a tax lien. In fact, a tax lien is a much greater interest. I in, still have my question because I'm not
4: worried about malevolence, is that I don't carry around in my head Uh, all of the possible things that might be liens against property. And so maybe my imagination is wrong, but I want to know, are you arguing that every lien against the property is, in fact, a right in property which allows a lawsuit? Or are you arguing that there is some distinction between some and the other, and I noticed that the restatements and others are trying to distinguish between whether the lien in question grows out of the property or doesn't grow out of the property, which I
8: find possibly hard to work with. <clears throat> and, and so I want to know how you see it. And, and what, I, what I see, Justice Breyer, is when you take a look at the cases in this Court, such as Connecticut against Doerr uh, and the other cases which put limits, on, the constitutional limits on liens, of course, uh, the, if a State passed a statute that runs afoul of the various due process concerns that this Court has articulated, that is certainly one check that we Let's have. Let's take the but,
3: parking ticket that, that your colleague raised, that New York would make a, a parking ticket a lien, unpaid parking ticket a lien on all, all property.
8: The, JUSTICE GINSBURG, I think that would be a, a hard question, but if it does not, uh, run afoul of the constitutional concerns that I just articulated, and it was a lien applicable not just, of course, to foreign sovereigns, but to any yes, unpaid yes. parking ticket, um, I think that then that would come within the immovable property exception.
6: So the only thing they would have to do, I suppose, you mentioned the due process point, would perhaps give a hearing um, uh, before the, the the lien was declared, and that would be enough?
8: I think I think it certainly would, Justice Souter, if if in fact there was there was a hearing. But provided
6: that provided notice and hearing uh, was was offered, the parking ticket lien would be in the same position as this lien, right? I think that's right.
8: I think I think that's right. And so. Under
5: New York law, does property do property tax liens have some superior status? Are they distinct
8: under New York law from other liens? well, they're, they're, as, as tax liens, you may get into a priority fight in a bankruptcy context. With that reference to priority, um, I don't believe that they would have a, any different lien, any different uh, stat, status. Although my colleague corrects me and says that yes, the uh, tax, lien, tax liens do have, in certain circumstances, um, a greater priority. It's hard to uh, think through exactly where, I, I where had that issue. I thought
5: would they be. had a greater priority, and that they even survived. Uh, Purchase from a
8: bona fide seller. Certainly, that is certainly true. And a property, uh, excuse me for interrupting. A tax lien uh, would run forever. There's no time limit, for example. Whereas a mechanic's lien has a statutory time limit on it. Um, If you got into a dispute about those two liens, obviously the tax lien would have would have priority.
9: May I ask this question? Suppose another jurisdiction had a tax system which was just a little different from New York and didn't provide for a lien until after suit had been brought and had been a failure to pay or you had to get a judgment first. In that case, that jurisdiction could not enforce its tax law. That is correct, uh, Justice Stevens. And don't you think it's sort of a strange way to, de- to define a tax immunity by, by describing the, the property, the interest in the immovable property?
8: Well, we start off with the statutory language, and the statutory language says right in property. We're not talking about the abstract right to tax.
9: But the, the basic issue in final analysis is whether they have to pay their taxes, isn't it? I'm sorry? The, the ultimate issue is whether they have to pay their taxes.
8: The ultimate substance, underlying substantive issue is that. But, and, of course, the State Department even today says these taxes should be paid. But the jurisdictional issue is whether there 's a right in property, and so if you just if you don 't create a lien if a particular state did not create a lien, that would not give you the right, which is what the statute, statutory language says
2: do you know any states that don't isn 't it fairly standard for you know, um, i believe
8: I believe it is fairly standard justice yes. Scalia. there may be one out of fifty states that that, that don 't say this
6: I think May, may, may I just ask for a kind of a footnote sort of question? I mean, you referred again to the, to the text. And if we're going to go on a very strict reading of the text, as I understand it, you don't have to claim a right in property. You have to have a claim uh, in, in which someone's rights in immovable property are in issue. So whether the, the ‑‑ uh, and so long as you create a cloud on the title, However, that cloud is classified. It puts in issue the title of the the named title holder, so that the debate about the distinction between a lien and an easement and so forth is essentially irrelevant as long as it's a cloud on the title. If we're going to be that, if we're going to be literal, isn't that so? I, I agree with that. And, and right, and here today, the right
8: that India and Mongolia claim in their property is in issue because we say you do not have the full right to your property. And if this lien runs long enough, it's going to wipe out the value of their property completely. And all the statute, the statute doesn't say, as the European Convention says, the foreign sovereign's right in property. The statute says either, in effect, either side's right yeah. in property. And I think we can also get a great deal of help. By the, 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 the European The the European uh, Treaty looks at it from the other side, you're saying. It it looks at it from the foreign sovereign side. The, The European Convention, phrased differently, looks at it from both sides, Justice Scalia, which is why they needed the words obligation. If you look at Article 9 of the European Convention, it first talks about the foreign sovereign's right or interest in property, and then it says, or the foreign sovereign's obligations arising out of that property. That's a different phrase than the FSIA, which doesn't use the word foreign sovereign, it says its rights in property have to be an issue. So you didn't need to encompass all the language of the European Convention.
2: Would the obligations arising out of the property in the European Convention include the obligation to pay taxes, uh,
8: property taxes? It would include a controversy over that, absolutely. And let let me talk about the international practice, because we should take a look at international practice to to guide us. What was the practice in 1970? Well, first of all, we know that the restatement second comment, uh, in comment uh, in paragraph 68 says disputes over rights or interests in property. And the restatement third, which was concededly a few years after um, the uh, 1976 adoption of the statute, makes it perfectly clear. It says it explicitly. But where did the restatement co- It says what explicitly? Says that, ta- that there is jurisdiction over tax claims, Section uh, 455 of, restate- of Restatement Third. Over tax liens or claims? Over tax claims, excuse me, uh, Chief, Mr. Chief Justice. And you don't go that far? That, uh, we don't have to go that far because we believe we, as a, we have a right in property arising from the lien. Now, let's look at the foreign cases before we get to the European Convention, and we cite a number of them in footnote 24. There is, for example, the case I I referred to uh, in response to Justice Breyer, a suit over a mortgage. A suit over a mortgage. It's not the commercial exception, a suit over a mortgage. There is a case in uh, England in 1975 which uh, analyzes broadly what's the meaning of this real property exception, and that case in England, which we cite, says a security interest, a suit over a security interest for a mortgage there is jurisdiction within the immovable property exception. There's a large number of cases. You look at the Harvard uh, uh, Review of 1932, the status of the law at that time, extensive review of all the relevant cases says the same thing. And then that brings us to the European Convention, which was adopted shortly before the FSIA, and which the State Department told Congress was consistent with the FSIA. Is it the Vienna Convention? Or? Pardon me. No, the, uh, the European Convention. European Convention. Uh, and the the European Convention, in Article 9, as I say, has a very broad immovable property exception. I'm not looking just at the language. I am looking at what does this Convention reflect as far as international practice was at the time. And that practice at the time, as reflected by the Convention, as reflected by these cases, all say that there is a very broad, immovable property exception that should cover this kind of dispute. Now, let me make one, uh, one or two final points. If this well,
0: the Convention used language quite different than that was used by Congress, so I'm not quite sure how that international practice reflected in or arising out of the Convention is terribly pertinent.
8: MR. I'm not — Mr. Chief Justice, I'm not talking just about the language. I'm talking about the pra- European — the international practice as reflected by that Convention, because the 1976 uh, legislative history of the FSIA says we're trying to conform United States' practice into the the practice that is followed internationally. And
0: And in in some cases, they used language directly from the Convention, and in this case, they didn't. So it seems to me a
8: particularly ill-advised source for looking to what they were trying to do. But then I would say, where did they get that source from? And that's why I cite first the international cases themselves, which reflect, as of 1976, the same philosophy reflected by the European Convention. There's no question that the wording is different. I'm not, I'm not disputing that. What I'm saying is that wording conveys an intent from the international point of view to have the broad uh, parameters of an international pro- — uh, of an immovable property exception, and that <clears throat> was consistent with the international cases that have been decided at that time. Did
9: that practice draw a distinction between property occupied by the Ambassador himself and property occupied by <coughs> employees of the Embassy?
8: As a substantive matter, Justice Stevens, the answer to that question is, of course, yes, because the Vienna Convention in Article 20, uh, 23 says that the premises uh, of the uh, mission uh, may, not be t- may not be taxed. And then you look at Article 1 to look at what is the meaning of premises of the mission, and they talk about where the business of the mission is conducted or where, the, or where the Ambassador resides. It doesn't talk about the rest of the employees. And since 1952, the State Department, even before the Vienna Convention and subsequent, has been advising missions in New York. It's on their website today. That they must pay taxes on staff housing. Can I ask you what? What do you get out of this case?
2: You're, you're, you've withdrawn your claim for judgment of foreclosure. What are you going to get out of it? A declaratory judgment that, th- that they owe the taxes?
8: I'm not sure they've ever contested that they that they don't owe. Oh yes, the taxes. I, so. I think if you look if you look at the uh, uh, petitioner's brief, I think they do contest that they that they have to pay the tax. But I, what we'll get out of this is the following. First of all. Let's start with the fact <clears throat> that the statute says you can bring an action in this jurisdiction even if you can't execute. We have the State Department telling us, or the Solicitor General telling us in their brief, footnote 17, that countries pay lawful taxes. So if we can get, if we can proceed to judgment and get that, forecl- and get that declaration, we believe, based upon what the Solicitor General has said, they will pay their taxes. Yeah, but In addition. You say he's wrong about a lot of other stuff. Why, why, do, you, why do you believe him about that? And the reason, the reason I believe him about that is that Congress has passed a law that says if you don't pay your taxes reflected by a judgment, whatever the amount of that tax is, you're going to lose 110% of your foreign aid. And so I believe we're going to get a lot out of that.
4: Can and I can ask you to go back, back for a second to where I'm getting myself into a model here. I'm still now being very, very literal. I think you're very literal, and you say it says, a case in which is involved rights to property. And you say, but this is a right to property in this case. If I win this case, then I have a right to sell that house. Therefore, I have a right in property. Now, if that's the reasoning, why doesn't that apply to every case where a state might say, if you win this case, you can sell his house. I mean, I can easily imagine a tort case, a contract case, where a state would say, you win, you can sell their house to collect the judgment. So I'm still back in a different route at where I'm having the problem, which is a problem of distinguishing in principle between either your absolute principle, do it, his absolute principle, don't do it, or something in the middle.
8: And I think the something in the middle, Justice Breyer, is if you're talking about a prejudgment lien, which I think is your hypothetical, it's the
4: Hypothetical was doing away with the prejudgment lien. I was saying the exact same words apply with just as much force if there is no prejudgment lien, but because if, a suit in which, without a lien, the State were to say, you win this tort claim, you can go sell his property to collect the judgment, is a suit in which there is at issue your right to sell his property, just as there is here.
8: But, but Justice, uh, Justice Breyer, in, in that hypothetical, you don't have a right in property until you win the case. Thank we you. have, we have, a, we have, a, there's an in issue today, our right to property. And I believe that that is a distinction. And I believe also, and of critical importance. Oh, wait a minute, but the uh, the embassy has has
2: rights in it when the case is brought, even before the final judgment. So it, you know but let's give the devil his due, it, it would be a case in which rights in, in, in immovable property are an issue.
8: And if, if You
2: want to look at it from the embassy side,
8: if too. You so. wa- yes, and I, if you want to look at it from the embassy side, under my theory, their right, under my lien, their rights are an issue today. And under Justice Breyer's hypothetical, if it meets the other due process concerns, which I think under that hypothetical, would raise a number of interesting ones. Yeah, well, that's
2: your big defense, that uh, to do that, they'd have to do it for everybody. They'd have to do it for Joe Sixpack as well as for the embassy, right?
6: That's right. That's right. Is, is it also the case that the, that the only instances in which, consistent with the Foreign Sovereign Immunities Act, the State could say, you get the house, would be com- instances of, of litigation arising out of commercial activity?
8: Yes, that is, that, is, that is correct, because only, it's only in the commercial activities exception can you execute, and then only yeah. in certain limited circumstances. And it ha- you can execute unless the premises are not being used for the purposes of the mission.
5: Now, now I take it you, uh, under New York law and the law of most jurisdictions, uh, the tax lien becomes a lien against the property before any judicial proceedings. That is correct. Just because they're unpaid. Uh, and this is probably a question more for them than for you, but as you understand their position, uh, if you put a lien on their property for unpaid taxes, are they entitled to demand its removal?
8: Of course they can. In fact, the, the Republic of Argentina case. Uh,
5: I mean, of course they can under their view.
8: No, they can bring an action to quiet title. They can bring no, no, an action.
5: No no, 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 no. I'm sorry. Excuse me. Uh, can they demand that that lien be released? They can uh, it. They no, no, because it violates the Foreign Sovereign Immunity Act. Before, well, can, is it their position that uh, you have no right at all even to notice a lien against the property?
8: Well, I haven't heard their articulation of that position, but they certainly could it write. It would seem to me to follow from what they're saying. I think, I think it may. I think if they, they certainly have a right to ask us to reconsider and make the various arguments on the merits to us. There are cases preceding the Foreign Sovereign Immunities Act where a country felt the lien was invalid and brought a lawsuit. Uh, well, my
5: hypothetical is can they demand that the lien be removed solely because of the Foreign Sovereign Immunities Act?
8: Uh, they could demand that, but I don't think the Foreign Sovereign Immunities Act answers the underlying substantive question. You'd have to look at the Vienna Convention as well as New York law to answer that question because all the Foreign Sovereign Immunities Act is, is talking about is the jurisdictional issue, not the substantive issue. And let me just uh, point out that if we, if we can't bring this lawsuit to have, uh, to, to try to foreclose or at least to have a declaration of our rights, this lawsuit can't be brought anywhere. No place in the world can New York City have a conclusion as to who owns this property. That is absolutely inconsistent with the underlying immovable property exception and the local action rule which says that land, that a sovereign has a primeval interest in its land, it has the right to adjudicate its property.
5: With reference to the offset of foreign aid, could that offset be made under controlling statutes just based
8: on your lien, or do you have to have a judgment no, the, the statute talks about a, a judgment it can 't just be that so <clears throat> finally, even though we cannot execute on our property on, on the on the judgment, it has a major impact. this case has a major impact on what we can do if we can 't do it there 's no other place for our problems to be resolved. I urge that the decision below be affirmed.
6: Hey, I ask you a question in your remaining time. Uh, with respect to the statute that authorizes the, um, the charge against foreign aid, would that statute have any application except either in a commercial case or a case like yours?
8: Uh, theoretically, it would have an application in a counterclaim situation as well, okay. uh, Justice Souter. I think those are the three things. Of course, you don't need that statute for the commercial exception. Because you can execute. You, that's
6: right, you can go directly. Right. So, so, in practical terms, with the possible exception of a counterclaim, the, the, the foreign aid set off would, would simply apply to a case like this. Then.
8: That's right, and, and Justice Souter, it, while certainly the, the Congress that passed those statutes was not the, sta- the Congress that passed the FSIA, uh, there is, uh, should, certainly should be an effort. MR. I was going, going to say, if you reconcile done. the statutes, you've got that to, is, to That is obviously the way to reconcile these yeah. statutes. What do you do with traffic
2: tickets? They've built up. You know, there's $100,000 owing in traffic tickets by some embassy. How do you get a judgment that that is owing? Um,
8: you can't get a judgment that th- that, that is always. So
2: you can't use even the foreign aid
8: uh, gimmick to. Uh, no, not unless uh, there's a, a, unless the statute has changed, uh, yeah. Justice Scalia, which we have from time to time tried to persuade Congress to the, do. The or the unless New York law is changed and you pass
0: something saying you get a lien on property if you have uh, delinquent property uh, power, parking tickets.
8: That is right, and that would that get us right back into. the I
3: thought the, the, hyper- I thought the, the, the federal the 100 percent withholding is, is related to taxes. Yes, Mr. Taxes, not for parking tickets or anything else.
8: That, that, yeah, yes, Justice Ginsburg, it does. It, relate, it relates to unpaid property, uh, uh, unpaid proper, property taxes. It doesn't apply uh, to unpaid parking tickets.
0: Thank you very much. Thank you, Counsel, uh, Mr. Howley, You have two minutes remaining.
1: Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice. Um, Article 29 of the European Convention expressly excludes any intent to create an exception for tax claims. That was the international practice at the time. What we have here is a bootstrap, and I refer to the Court to its decision in Ministry of Defense of Republic of Iran against Elahi, where this Court said that when you have an action to impose a lien, it is analyzed as an attachment under Section 1609, 1610 of the Foreign Sovereign Immunities Act, and what the Foreign Sovereign Immunities Act says is you cannot use an attachment to get jurisdiction where jurisdiction otherwise does not
5: exist. Do you take the position that it's improper even to notice the property with the lien? Uh,
1: under New York law, yes. Uh, and we
5: have Chief Judge I mean, Fold I mean, writing I mean, for let's, unanimous. Let's, let's say assume that you owe the taxes. Let's, uh,
1: <coughs> well, well we, we say that there's no right to impose the lien because the Vienna Convention and New York law prohibit the taxation of the property, and you cannot impose the lien to collect something that you're not entitled to. And this is a dispute that has historically been resolved through diplomacy, not in the courts, because the fact is, whatever happens in this case to India and Mongolia, is likely to happen to the United States around the world, and that's a foreign policy question for the State Department to decide. You mean a- we'll have
2: to start paying our taxes around the world. <laughs> I'm afraid is so. That a just that a real problem first. I don't
1: think so. I am afraid so. Thank, Thank you, you very much. Thank you, Counsel.
0: The case is submitted.